the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you a marked man or woman? Well, that's a term that was used back in the days of slavery when they would brand somebody, marking them out. Are you marked for Christ? Hi, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. That question we began with can be a rather startling one, but it's something that we're looking at here in Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18, the marks of a marked man. You know, back in the days of slavery, when they would brand somebody, you could tell that that person was a slave to the slave owner by the way they acted. So the question remains, are you known to be a slave of Christ by the way you act? We'll talk about that today. The marks of a marked man. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. I want to uh, just deal, I seldom just deal with a single verse, but that's where we're going. But I want to read the conclusion beginning with verse 11. If I could, I would preach... uh, Glory and in the cross alone every Sunday for the rest of my life. But I will try to finish this book. Listen to what he says. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. The best view is he took the quill and he either made larger letters, spread out the ink. Uh, some think it was his eye disease. Others think it was like a highlighter. He's underscoring. He's using large letters and emphasizing uh, on the scroll because he usually dictated to an amanuensis that was like a secretary, but he wants to be sure he signs this letter, that it came from him, and the letters are large. They're underscored. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And, of course, these were the Judaizers that were undermining Paul's ministry. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. That is regarding one's status before God. What counts is a new creation or a new birth. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule of faith, this rule of conduct, even to the Israel of God. And I understand that phrase there to be true Jews, Jews who are not just circumcised descendants of Abraham, but those who have put faith in the gospel that Paul has been teaching this book. They are completed Jews. They have believed in 
Christ Jesus, Messiah himself, and they are the true Israel of God, not just physical descendants, but born again, trusting in Messiah himself. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let me, uh, I'm going to deal with the marks of a marked man in verse 17. I've always been intrigued by this verse. He uses a strong word, stigma, stigmata. And uh, I've always been curious why he used such a strong word to describe himself. And so, before we look at that a little bit and we give you some background, let me give you in this gospel of freedom in Galatians three key arteries that you want to always remember. The first two chapters of Galatians deals with this. What is the authority for our gospel? Where does it come from? And here this converted rabbi and this converted Pharisee says, I got my gospel right out of heaven. I didn't go through other sources. And if you ever preach any other gospel than what I got from heaven, be it Joseph Smith, Mary Ellen White, some other gospel, let them be accursed. I have an authentic authority and an authentic gospel. So the first two chapters are saying the matter of authority. Where do you get your authority? Where do you get your gospel? And in a day of so much rampant, uh, God told me I had a vision, I had a dream, uh, I wrote something down, and it must be so. Don't question my experience. Here's a man saying, no, no, no. If it's not according to apostolic teaching, an apostolic doctrine written down in Scripture, you say, anathema. I only follow that which was revealed from heaven to the apostles. Then... He goes on in chapter 3 and 4, and here's the big issue, the big uh, issue of doctrine. And this is the question, how can one be right with God? How can one be right with God? By giving in the offering? If that's so, you should have doubled what you gave. You didn't give enough to really be right. And you never would be able to give enough. What is it that makes you right with God? The baptism fount? Uh, how can one be right with... Oh, you need to be circumcised. That'll make you right with God. Oh, oh, you've accepted Christ? Well, that's okay, but it's not enough. And Paul is taking on the cross of Christ was enough to satisfy God's demands against you and faith in the cross work of Christ alone alone, the Reformation used sola scriptura, sola fides, sola gracias. The sola is very important. It's not Christ plus. It's Christ alone. And he defends that for two chapters, that we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone through grace alone, over and over and over. It's been under attack for 1,900 years, and it's under attack today. Then he comes to chapters 5 and 6, and he's wrapping up by saying, if it is by grace alone and faith alone, I guess you can live any old way you want. You say we're not under the law, 
He who's under grace is not under law. So you basically produce a lawless bunch of people. And his chapter 5 and 6 says, no, no. The Christian life is a life of holiness, holiness far superior to anything the law could do. The law could command, but it could not enable. But in this justification by faith, truth that Paul's carrying, we have the Holy Spirit. And he is the energizer that says, when you walk in the Spirit, you're not under law, and neither are you under the control of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit will be born in you. So we become a people that are not antinomian. We're not out here uh, trying to uh, paint the town red. A holiness and likeness to Christ is born because we've got the Holy Spirit working in us to be like Christ. So three things, authority, doctrine, Christian life, apostolic teaching from above. That's the authority. Justification by faith in Christ alone, that's the theology. And the Christian life, it rides on the power of the Holy Spirit, not on trying, 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 and always being defeated. It rides on his power. Now, he says something about himself that is quite amazing. He said, I, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, why did he even say that? Because he says, I don't want anyone to trouble me anymore. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Those who came to undermine Paul, if they could not beat him in uh, sophistry and in logic and in law, they always impugned his motive. And they did it in Second Corinthians abhorrently so. They questioned why he was in it. They question whether he was sincere about it. And so he says, from now on, I don't want anyone to question me. I give you my final credential. If I were to come before you and bear my toga and let you examine me, you would see in my body the results of five whippings by the Jews. That's five times 39 stripes. Besides that, the Romans flogged me three times, and they usually skinned a man to the bone to even survive the flogging. Besides that, I was shipwrecked three times. One night, I spent a day and a night in the deep. Uh, matter of fact, think of this. The greatest preacher of the Gentile world, he said, I had no royal escorts, but I had a basket let down over the city wall to escape from my life. In Acts 14, I was stoned at Lystria. You could examine my body and see scar tissue all over me that I got because I'm a follower of the Lamb and I was willing to take whatever persecution. I don't avoid the cross. I've been willing to be persecuted for it. And I've been stigmatized. And I know that. Now, what's interesting about the word stigmata? Now, of course, if you're a Roman Catholic in background, you know that in 1200, St. Francis of Sisi, after fasting and praying for days, had a vision in which he saw the crucified Christ. And in Catholic tradition, he became stigmatized. Uh, nails were supposed to come out of his hands uh, and out of his feet. A wound came into his side in which he uh, bled profusely many times, and his habit would often be stained with blood. 
and over 300 occasions in Catholic theology of people who've literally entered into the stigmata of Christ. This is not at all what Paul is saying. Primarily, he's saying, I've been stigmatized in my body by all the suffering I've endured for the sake of the cross and for making the cross known to the Gentile world. Now, as I looked at this word, it was used of about five things. They used it when they branded cattle. They would say they were stigmatized, cattle branding. But the word stigmata was used of slaves. It was used of soldiers. It was used of religious devotees. It was used of criminals. And this is the way it went with a, a slave, of course. They would brand them in the forehead. And uh, this would either be tattooed or they would take and literally burn it into the head. And it would be a mark that this man is owned and is a slave. Now, of course, if you know the scriptures at all, Paul's favorite term to describe himself was, I am a servant. But in the Greek, it's stronger. It's really the strongest word. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. It's doulos. A slave has one master. A slave claims ownership to nothing. A slave has no ultimate rights. And in Christianity, it is not a forced slavery. It is not, because uh, he said, it's an interesting thing in Galatians. He said, under grace, we're no longer slaves, but sons. So when it comes to the privilege of the gospel, you're a son. But in his devotion, he said, I surrendered all rights to my life. I've surrendered all ownership of my life. I have become the slave of the Christ of the cross who would die for me and take my place. I gladly own him as my master. I'm not ashamed of who I'm a bought man. I'm an owned man. I wonder whose man are you? Who owns you? Does the company own you? Do you own your own body? He says it's absurd in 1 Corinthians. You were bought with a price, the people of God. Can you sleep with anybody you want to, Paul is saying to the Corinthians? No. Why? Because you have a great high moral standard or all your hormones were extracted from you when you got saved? No. He said, you must realize You've been bought. I don't buy a car for somebody else to tell me how to drive it. I buy something for the rights of controlling it. Christ bought you not to negotiate. He bought you to own you. And Paul uses the term of the slave. I've been bought. I'm an own man. I know that. And if it incurs suffering, if it incurs persecution for Christ, I own it. It was used of criminals. Criminals would be stigmatized, and nowhere in the ancient world could you be tattooed or branded, which was the most brutal, and it not be a stigma, and you were a social outcast. And Paul, of course, was treated this way much of the time. It was used of uh, soldiers. And what soldiers would do, uh, they would not do the forehead. Uh, it'd be... Uh, embossed right here on the hand, 
And they would put the name of the general they served under. And so it said, I am under the authority and command of general so-and-so. I'm his soldier. So the slavery, which was very, of course, could be done against your will. Here's a soldier that says, I want to be tattooed that I serve in the army of Titus. I was just reading Flavius Josephus yesterday in the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That horrid history of what happened to the Jewish people in that siege. But the Roman soldier would brag at the bar and would show the tattoo, I serve under Titus. I'm his man. Paul says, I've been tattooed. I've been branded. I'm a soldier of the cross. I'm a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it was Jews of religious uh, devotees, people that would hang out at the temple, uh, Gentile temples, pagan temples. They would have themselves tattooed and take on the name of their God or the name of that particular temple. And so they would bear this kind of stigma and have their body either tattooed or burned into them. It's kind of like gang colors, you know. Certain parts of watch, you don't want to be in with the wrong colors. You better know if you're a crib or a blood. You better know which group you're riding with. Watch the special on the Aryan race in prison and showing their tattoos and their special uh, symbols in those tattoos. And this graffiti is not just graffiti. There's symbolisms. There's stigma. There's identity. And Paul is basically saying, I've given you this gospel And I'm telling you, my gospel doesn't ride on getting people circumcised. It rides on getting them to Christ, who is the stumbling block of my people Israel, and is moronic foolishness to the Gentile world. But I bear my body's my credential. My body bears the credential of suffering. That I bear it gladly. I'm not ashamed of the scars... And the stigma that I bear, for I was crucified with Christ, and crucified people always get wounded. You know, Christ said something that has always astounded me. I don't know how you can get any followers. Pick up your cross and follow me. What a way to eliminate a movement. Pick up your cross. A, a cross was a executioner's platform. Why would you tell your followers, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross? Wait, wait, I want to pick up my bonus. I want to sign up bonus. He said, pick up your cross. I've never said this much, but I ask myself, is there any cross bearing involved in Christianity? In the sense of identity with Christ, that I would bear even a criminal stigma if my identity with Christ cost me that. I think as I looked at all these things about what they did to criminals, what they did to devotees, what they did to slaves, uh, and all these, here Paul was a soldier of Christ, he was a slave of Christ, a sufferer for Christ. I begin to ask myself some questions. 
Is there any way that you could identify a believer today? Are there any ways that the true believers that are here today could be identified? How does God want his people to be identified in this world? Now, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4, that the apostles were set forth as the primary theatrical of suffering before men and angels of what they would suffer for the cause of Christ. And Paul didn't go out looking to get beat up. He didn't go out hoping he could have all these beatings. They just were incurred in process. And he says, I bear them gladly for Jesus. But I ask, are there any marked people in this place that once you leave today and you're in the world for the week, on your jobs, in your home, your neighborhood, what are the marks of identity of the people of God? Or do you just not know? You just don't know. I, I go to church. I'm a Christian. Well, we know that's not true because there's probably unsaved people here this morning. Sincere, but you know you're not saved. You're not ready to go to heaven. And if we went into larger churches all over this uh, country today, all over the world, there will be millions of people that sit in sanctuaries that don't know God. But they know how to go through the motions. They know how to see baptisms. They know how to light candles, genuflect, give an offerings, shake hands, look friendly, and at least brush their teeth for once a week. So they'll look good for one day a week. Is there anything about you that bears any identity with Jesus Christ? Or is it the best kept secret in your family and your job? Who do you belong to? What's your ID badge? I doubt that uh, any of us, including this preacher, can rip off his coat and look at my back. And I'm going to show you all the beatings. No, I've never been beaten for being a Christian. I have not. What have I suffered is not even worthy to be mentioned after you study the life of Paul. It is only a self-pity complex. So it's not even worthy. I remember when we had Richard Wormbrand here, who uh, heads a ministry for the persecuted church and a saved man out of Romania. We had him when we were at the gym, and when he uh, came to preach, he said, could I please sit in a chair? We had a chair out for him, and as he shared, he says, I'm not being disrespectful, but he said, when I was in prison for 15 years in Romania, they broke up my feet so bad that I can't stand. But could I tell you about the Savior and what he's doing in Romania and how I advocate for the persecuted church of God? You know, I thought of that moment. Uh, was he less because he had suffered? No, no. He, he was treasured by all the saints there. Because we're asking, how could you go through such for God? We, we've grown up on prosperity gospel. If you serve God, you ought to get a bigger house, a bigger car, and more money. Because I'm an American Christian, and prosperity comes with being a Christian. We haven't read the Bible. We haven't read the New Testament. We haven't read Hebrews 11 where those Hebrews fighting to keep their faith, they had lost their property, lost their houses, seen their loved ones killed, 
We're in the tradition of an Isaiah sawn in two in a log. He said, you know, don't worry. We have a more abiding city. This world is, it's not your home. This isn't where it ends. We have something there. And once again, we've come to the end of our time together here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we lock things up for another day of broadcasting, we do so with a a way to contact us here at Truth For Today. If you have a question, a prayer request, comment, we would love to pray for you. If you have a praise report about how the program is encouraging you in Christ, we'd love to hear that as well. A couple of ways to reach out to us. The easiest, of course, our phone number, 855-833-9864, or our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, you have another way to reach out to us, and that is, especially if you have a question or a praise report, that you would like Pastor Phil to answer. Well, simply take your voice memo app on that smartphone of yours, record your question along with who you are and where you're calling from, and then email that bit of audio to us at tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, the email address is tftquestions at valleybible.org. So email that to us. We'll run it by Pastor Phil, and should we use it on the radio, we'll even let you know when. And as always, you can again reach out to us at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. You can also write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you partner with us financially, bear in mind that we are able to continue this radio ministry through you doing just that, joining other friends and family members of this ministry to ensure that this program continues its ministry in the greater Bay Area. Please consider that as you reach out to us, and then join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.